But next week we are finishing up our series through the book of Acts. So I hope you've been enjoying reading through Acts for yourself. I hope as we've been preaching through this, it's like the lights have been going on more and more about what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it means to be the church and what it looks like uh, to be his disciple. And today we are going to carry on, but we're going to kind of zoom out a little bit. We're going to do a bit of a 30,000 foot view of what Paul is doing in the second half of the book of Acts, because from chapter 13 to chapter 28, those last 15 chapters, what we see is Paul's missionary journeys as Paul goes out to take the gospel to different men and women, different places and different people to see the kingdom of God advance. So if you do have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 1 with me. We're going to read one verse from there together and then kind of zoom all the way through the story. But while some of you are turning there in your Bibles, on your phones, who has seen the movie Free Solo in this room? We've got like six of us in the room. Okay, powerful. Free Solo is a really incredible documentary. It actually won the Academy Award last year for Best Documentary. And it's the story of Alex Honnold, who is this rock climber who sets his goals on climbing El Capitan, this 3,000-foot or 900-meter kind of granite sheer cliff face. And he decides he is going to do this without any kind of ropes. That's what free soloing is. It means you climb just your hands and feet and everything. Now, this is like a rock face that people initially didn't think you could climb even with ropes. So he decides he's going to do it without, just on his own, his arms, his legs, his powder. That's it. And you see him set off. What I mean by that is he's got like a little powder bag on the back just to keep his hands dry so he can do the climbing. And he decides that he's going to do this. And it's terrifying. I'm someone who's got a fear of heights. So watching some of these angles of his friends around him on these ropes, filming him as he does these crazy holds and movements is terrifying because I know I would freeze up like five meters up there. I'd be done. Someone would need to come and rescue me. He's doing this without ropes. He's doing this without a net. He's either going to get this perfect or he's going to die. That's kind of the risk or the odds of what he's doing. You know, I hear something like that and I think to myself, there's no ways in the world I could do that. You know, what about this guy? Like what is going through his mind? And there's a scene in the film where he actually goes for an MRI and they scan his amygdala. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's kind of the fear center of the brain. And they notice there's almost no activity going on in that part of his brain. Uh, the rest of the brain is working fine. It's just in the fear center. There's like nothing, which means he does not have fear. He's like a mutant. He's a superhuman. He is free from the fears that you and I face. And he's able to do stuff like this. And there's this one scene in the movie where you see him having to kind of karate kick across this chasm and kind of reach across and move his body weight over this channel in the rock so that he can carry on with a climb. It's crazy. You see him while he's training, because his training was so intensive, doing this with ropes and falling multiple times because of how hard this movement was. And now he's going to do this without ropes. You see the cameraman who's filming from the ground just turns around because this is his friend, risking his life to do this dangerous move to be the first person to free solo this mountain. And he went to incredible attention to detail. He would actually map out every single movement he would make. He had a little book with every step, every hold, every move, every single thing, because he knew once he got up there, he needed to just be autopilot. He needed to be a robot just climbing through and doing all of the things that he had done in practice if he wanted to make it to the top. And he does it. Obviously, I'm not giving away the film. They wouldn't have finished the film off if he didn't make it to the top if he fell. But in three and a half hours, he makes it 900 meters up the sheer cliff face to be the first person to do that. Probably one of the greatest athletic achievements of all time, the history of mankind. He's an incredible beast. And I watched this film, and I thought to myself, this is inspiring. This is incredible. This is mind-blowing. I cannot believe that this guy's done it. And I also thought to myself, 
I would never want to do that, and I could never do that. You know, this isn't like a film that inspired me to start rock climbing. I watched this, I thought, I'm really happy being on the ground. Like, solid ground is fine for me. Uh, I'm really proud of him. And I think as we read through the book of Acts, it is this inspiring whirlwind action-packed story of what the people of God did in the first century, you know. We're watching over about a 35-year period as these men and women of God serve Jesus wholeheartedly and do all the things that he's called them to do. And we see this grand kind of global gospel mission that they're part of, making disciples, knowing Jesus and making Jesus known, sharing the grace and truth and love of Jesus with everyone they come into contact with. And it's costly, you know, but they decide no matter the cost, no matter what it costs me, I'm going to do this because Jesus is worth it, because what he's done on the cross for me is worth it, because his salvation is so beautiful, because his forgiveness is so great. I will give everything I've got for the sake of him. And I think for some of us, as we've gone through the book of Acts, it's inspired us. We've read this and thought, I want to recommit myself to Jesus and his mission. I want to give myself to this. This is what it's all about. This is what it means to be the church. This is what it means to be fully alive. I want in on this. And for some of us, as we've been going through, the Spirit has been speaking and we've been saying, that's it. That's what I need to do. That's my next step. That's how I need to respond. And you've been starting to put some of these things into place in your life. But on the other hand, I think probably some of us as we've gone through this have had the same response I had to watching that movie. You've kind of read through this book, you've seen the examples of Paul, and you've thought, I could never do that, and I would never want to do that. You know, That's fine for Paul, that's fine for superhuman mutant freaks like him, but for me, it's like too much to step out, so I'm just going to keep my life the way I'm used to. I'm just going to carry on living the way I always have. And I'm hoping today, as we go through this, Actually, you would feel freshly inspired with the vision and mission of Jesus, freshly inspired with uh, what he's called all of us to, the, the purpose of his church in this world today. And I hope that even if it looks like kind of the baby slopes, you know, like having a rope and having someone help you and doing the really easy climb, that each of us would take a next step in disengaging with the purposes of God today. So the key scripture in the entire book of Acts is Acts 1 verse 8. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is this great global gospel mission that all of us are called to play a part in. And I just want to highlight here that this isn't an invitation. In a sense, it is Jesus inviting us to join him in what he's doing. But it's more than that. You know, if you think of an invitation, it's almost like this colorful piece of paper or invite that we get online saying, hey, come and join me if you've got time, if you feel like it, come and be a part of this. Jesus is actually commanding us as our king, as our army general. He's saying, these are your marching orders, church. This is what we are called to do. I am sending you out as my people in the world for this. This is our job. This is our task. This is our mission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is what we see happening throughout the book of Acts. This is actually the, if you were to break Acts into chunks like we'll do today, that is what happens. And we see this message going out, starting in Jerusalem with 120 people just praying in this upper room, praying with Jesus, trusting the Spirit would come, and then being sent out everywhere. And today as we meet in this room, we know that there's about a third of the world's population serving and worshiping and loving Jesus. Over two billion people on our planet call him Lord. They honor him and they worship him as king. 
Now, the book of Acts is called that because it is a book of activity. In some of your Bibles, you will have the title on page one of this book that says the Acts of the Apostles. And it really is. We see these apostles doing incredible work for God. Apostle just means sent ones. And these guys are being sent everywhere to take the message of Jesus with them. Some of you might have heard this being called the, the Acts of the Church. And that is what it is. Because it's not just the apostles working. It's the whole church going out to do what God has called them to do. Or maybe you've heard it called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it is the Spirit who empowers us and fills us and leads us and guides us and directs us in what to do. But even in Acts 1 verse 1... Luke writes, and he says, in my first book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And he's telling us that he's carrying on to write about all that Jesus continues to do and teach today. That is what Acts is about. Jesus at work through his church, empowered by the Spirit for the work of God in this world. And Acts 2 verse 7 shows us this, the work of God in Jerusalem. Everything that is going on in the city that that first church started out in. But the message wasn't meant to end there. The message Jesus had needed to go from there to Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. And in Acts 8 verse 1, we read, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This is Jesus' as well. It's being fulfilled. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And Acts 8 verse 4 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It's an amazing thing. The leaders are left behind, but the people of God go out to do the work of ministry. Now, I don't know what you think. You know, if, if I was reading that just purely objectively, you hear there's persecution, the church is scattered, you feel like, oh, this thing's been watered down, you know? This thing that was potent and powerful in Jerusalem, now it's lost all of that impetus and momentum that it had. It's watered down, it's going to be weak. The church could die. But it's amazing how God works all things together for the good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And I wanted to encourage you today, if you feel like you're in a place where you are struggling, where things are tough, where you've got obstacles, where you feel like there's a persecution or a, a trouble or an obstacle in your life, I want you to know, even though they might be scattering, even though it might look from the outside like hopeless, that God works all things together for the good. God loves you. God cares about your situation. He cares about what you're facing. And here in this passage, he proves it because he is not done. He is going to carry on the purpose he's always had through his church. In Acts 8, 9, and 10, we see more healings, more miracles, more salvations, the message of Jesus going out more and more. And we see Paul the Apostle, who at first was the biggest enemy of the church, now becoming a follower of Jesus and becoming the greatest weapon of the church. He's this incredible man who God completely transforms from the inside out. This man doesn't just say, okay, Jesus seems great. No, Jesus becomes his center. Jesus becomes his life. Jesus becomes his everything. Everything about him is completely reoriented around the person and the message and the work of Jesus. And I don't know your background, I don't know your story, but there's a huge difference between believing in Jesus and between fo uh, following him like wherever he would go and wherever he would call you to. There's a big difference between asking Jesus to forgive your sins and between living as if he is the savior of the world. There's a big difference between coming to a church gathering on a Sunday morning and being the church as we leave here, every moment of every day. There's a big difference between saying you have faith and actually trusting Jesus in the hard moments of life as we face the obstacles that come our way. Paul is not just sprinkled with a bit of Jesus. He's completely immersed in him. He's filled with him. He's saturated with him. He's all about Jesus. 
And the whole second half of this book is about this message going to new places and to new people and new followers of Jesus kind of springing up everywhere. This is the to the ends of the earth part of Jesus' commission in Acts 1 verse 8. And in Acts 11 to 13, we see a new church spring up in Antioch. That scattering that looked like it was going to devastate and ruin the church has actually led people to go up to this place. None of the apostles, none of the elders, none of the leaders, just people from the church. They go, they start to tell others about Jesus and the small community forms and the hand of God is upon them and the grace of God is upon them and it's just sprouting. And it seems like almost here in this passage in Acts 13, it's like this church has become the new hub of global Christianity. Before it was the church in Jerusalem, now it's all about Antioch. God is doing a new thing there. And all of these people who before had never heard of Jesus, had never heard of these things, are now giving everything that they've got to him. God is on the move. And in Acts 13, verse 1 to 4, we read, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. This is such an amazing thing. This church here in Antioch has become a base for the gospel to go out from. God is doing a lot in Antioch. He's doing a lot in those people. He's doing a lot in that church. Now this church is resourced and strong to send people out to other places so the gospel can be planted in different soils and in different hearts and start to spring up and grow all over the place. And we see Paul and Barnabas are sent out on their first of three missionary journeys. And they go to places like Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and all over before coming home. But I want to highlight something here. Before they are sent out by the Spirit from Antioch, they are sent out by the Spirit in Antioch. And what I mean by that is before they went to be missionaries and ministers and preach the gospel and do this thing in other places, actually Paul and Barnabas were sent to Antioch, the city they lived in. They saw themselves as missionaries in that place, following Jesus, serving Jesus, pointing other people to Jesus there. They were pushing back darkness there and seeing the kingdom of God come there before they ever went to another place to do it. And I think for us, our mindset sometimes needs to change, you know? Sometimes we think the mission happens out there. Sometimes we think the missionaries are sent out there, and we don't see the church having a missionary identity. We don't see ourselves as missionaries. We don't see ourselves as sent to Durban. We don't see ourselves as sent to the places that we are every day of the week. But this is the normal Christian life. Whether you've been a Christian for a day or two, or for decades, You are a missionary, you are a minister, you are a preacher, you are a servant of Jesus, you are working for him full time. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. I don't know if any of you guys read News 24, but there was an article yesterday that really struck me. It was about a petrol attendant. Did anyone read it? It was so beautiful. Okay, so you know exactly what I'm going to say. But there's a beautiful ending to this story. This man, well, I'll just read from the article. It says, his hundred rand is well on its way to becoming a hundred thousand rand as crowdfunding campaign for petrol attendants in Corsico and Bele, who lent a customer money after she had forgotten her bank card, gains traction. And Bele, 28, on Thursday, from his own pocket paid for the petrol when Manette van Dierwinter stopped at a station on the N2 near Makaza on her way to Cape Town. In a Facebook post, she said, uh, he told her, ma'am, you can't run out of petrol on the N2. 
I'll throw in a hundred rand and then you can just bring back my hundred rand whenever you are near again. Who would do that, man? I don't know if I would do that. <laughs> he then put petrol in her tank without taking down her details. I mean, this guy. And Bele told News 24 he had not wanted Van Deventer to be at risk on the highway after hearing many horror stories about the dangers on the N2. Van Deventer, in her personal message on the Backer Buddy fundraising platform, said she would love to do something for him in return since he saved her life. He trusted me. On my way back, I found him and returned his blessing, and I asked him why he helped and trusted a stranger. He replied, ma'am, I am a believer. Isn't that beautiful? Man working as a petrol attendant, petrol station just out of the city of Cape Town, but he's sent, he's living sent in his daily life, and he sees an opportunity with someone in need and says, this is an opportunity for me to show grace and mercy and compassion. He'd received grace and mercy and compassion from Jesus. He knew there was a time where he was in need and Jesus met his needs. And now every single day he's looking for opportunities for other people that he can bless and help and love and care for in the same way that he's experienced that from Jesus. Sent by Jesus as a missionary, as a petrol attendant in that place, serving and honoring Jesus. And now the whole of South Africa, or at least about 10 of us in this room who read the article, know that a Christian man, a Christian man, show the love of Jesus to this Monique van Deventer because he was sent in his place of work. That's what we're talking about today. Paul's second missionary journey is Acts 15 to 18. And we see this really cool story. We spoke about the church in Philippi being planted. But Paul is sleeping. They've been trying to work out what is next, what God wants for them. And Paul has a dream of a man from Macedonia calling him to Europe, saying, come, we need the gospel. We need to hear about Jesus. So Paul, being the smart man he is, thinks, This could be God speaking. And they decide, we will go to Philippi. And they share the gospel all over in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth before going back to Antioch. (coughs) And then in their third missionary journey, they go for about a five-year period all over modern-day Yugoslavia and Turkey and Greece to talk about Jesus and make disciples and plant churches and advance God's kingdom. And his passion for sharing the story of Jesus Paul traveled without a car or without an airplane over 10,000 miles, over 14,000 kilometers. That's an incredible thing. Just going and going, living as a sent man so that others could come to know about his Savior. And then Paul is arrested in Jerusalem. And he begins a very slow, long journey to Rome where he will stand before Caesar to give an account for the life he's lived and for all of the things that he's done. And Acts ends there in Rome. We've got a shipwreck thrown in, we've got a snake bite thrown in, we've got some healings, some other opportunities to talk about Jesus. But it ends with Paul living under house arrest. He's living in a home with guards surrounding him. He's able to have guests, he's able to continue to talk about Jesus. But it just kind of ends. Acts starts with this bang of explosion as the Spirit of God is poured out on the church. But it ends with this ellipsis, what will happen next? It's not finished, it's not concluded. Because the book of Acts carries on till today. Jesus continues his work today through his church all over the world. And you and I are called to carry on the book of Acts here in Durban ourselves. I wanted to ask you, as we kind of end the weekend, as we look ahead to the week ahead, what does your schedule look like? What are you going to be doing from Monday till Sunday next week? Does it look anything like Paul's schedule at all? Or does it look completely different? Because I think what some of us do 
is we look at Paul's example and we do the whole free solo thing. I could never do that. I could never change that way. I could never live in the way that he's called me to. But we shouldn't be discouraged. Our lives don't need to look the same as Paul's, but our purpose needs to be the same. And in a sense, the book of Acts isn't meant to freak us out and chase us away. The book of Acts overlaps with our lives perfectly. In our Monday to Sunday, actually all we need to do is change the engine which is driving everything we do from whatever it might be to Jesus. He's the reason. He's the purpose. He's the energy. He's the life. He's the love between, uh, behind everything that we do. And then we join him in that. Michael Frost says, sentness is not just for missionaries to foreign lands. The shift is for all of us, students and workers, parents and kids, professionals and laborers, artists and accountants, moms and mechanics. We are all sent into our world. We are given to those who we relate to. We are commissioned to our workplace. We are placed in our streets. When our imaginations grasp our sentness, our life stories take on a whole new dangerous meaning. And when we read the book of Acts, and as we speak about something like this today, I know some of you think, another thing for me to do. You know, I'm already juggling all of these balls, Grant. Juggling work and family and friends and relationships and trying to be healthy, eat healthy and exercise, and then I've got all of this admin to do. And it's just like more things are being lobbed at you all the time and you're just adding. And then you come here on Sunday wanting to meet with God and receive grace and be encouraged for the week ahead. And I say, okay, guys, let's go and change the world. Come on. Durban, South Africa, the nations, let's do it. Giving you a headache, making you feel heavy and weighed down. The idea this morning isn't that we throw another couple of balls, a Jesus ball, a church ball, a kingdom ball, a gospel ball in and just say, okay, try and juggle all of this. The idea is that we are reshaped. Actually, Jesus isn't one of the balls we juggle. He is our life. Actually, the the mission of God isn't a ball we juggle. It is our life. The church isn't another thing that we're a part of. The church is our life. The kingdom of God is our life. And as we re-identify, as we reorient around these things, that they become our life. We juggle everything else differently. The way we work changes, like that petrol attendant. The way we do our marriages change. The way we do our singleness changes. The way we do friendship and handle money and sexuality and decision-making is all changed because Jesus is at the center of it all. And Jesus is wanting to use us in this way. Kimmy, why don't you come up? I think sometimes this idea of being sent out by God can be so intimidating and kind of um, a little bit vague for us. We're like, yes, we want to be used like we see Paul being used in the book of Acts. We want to join God in this mission and partnering with him and seeing many people come to know him. But like, how practically does that work out in our average, very normal, everyday lives? Because I don't know if you're like me, but I just feel like a very ordinary, run-of-the-mill follower of Jesus like Jesus how are you going to you know do this in my life how we see you doing in the disciples lives in the book of Acts and um, I think one of the things that I believe he's shown me throughout this Acts series and throughout just the New Testament and seeing what these um, followers of Jesus got up to was that a large part of being sent starts with just following God following his voice listening to his voice obeying his voice, obeying what he's calling us to do. It starts there. And um, to be honest with you, I've been a follower of Jesus for perhaps 17 years um, now. Um, But for a large majority of that time, I haven't just been placing my faith and my trust and my hope in him. 
It's kind of been a thing of Kimmy following Jesus, putting her faith and trust in him, but also kind of relying on money and seeing money as a way um, to find security and true satisfaction and joy. And I feel like that's one of the things that God has been really challenging me on throughout this um, series, almost that lie that I've believed that my satisfaction and my true joy and my security is in Jesus, but it's also in having financial security um, and extra cash. And in t- this year, in 2019, in February, uh, I got a, a new job towards the end of last year, and it was a job that really enabled me to have a lot of financial security, have some extra money, but it was a job that was very time-consuming. And I kind of got wrapped up into this life of work, 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 day and night, weekends. And I started to not have a lot of time for my relationship with God and my relationship with my family and my friends and my church community. Um, And I felt like he began speaking to me about this. He began saying, actually, Kimmy, I've called you. I'm sending you to do something else. I've called you to do something else as as a believer of mine. I've called you into a place of intimacy with me so that out of that place, I can send you to have an impact for the gospel. But you need to have time to do that. You need to have time to spend with people to be able to be sent with them, sent to them. You need to have time um, with me so that I can talk to you about um, about what I want you to do. Um, and in a sense, I felt him, I, I, not in a sense, I did hear him say to me, Kimmy, I'm calling you to give up this job. I want you to give up this job. Um, I felt like he put a choice before me um, in following him. He said, you can live this life of having a great salary, lots of extra money, or you can live this life of following me, listening and obeying my voice, and I will take you on an adventure, and I will use you in a new way, in a new season. I felt like he was calling me to lay down the idol of money, the, uh, the idol of materialism, wanting to put my security and take control myself by being able to kind of plan my destiny according to my bank account and instead trust in him, trust that he had a good plan for me. Um, But to be honest with you, I was both excited and terrified for this. Excited to kind of step into whatever God had for me, but also terrified to let go of control and let go of this thing that had shaped so much of who I was and allow Jesus to begin to shape me. And it was on that note that we headed to Rome. And we arrived in Rome. Um, we went on a holiday with a few friends. And it really was just an incredible experience, just walking through the streets where we knew, like, many disciples of Jesus had been and where God had done exciting and amazing, amazing things. And one of, I think, the highlights for me on this trip was going to the Mamertine prison in Rome. And um, basically, this is the prison where both Peter and Paul uh, were kept before they died. Um, at the time, Nero was the emperor, and he was he really did not like Christians. Where this prison is um, placed in the city of Rome is right next to this kind of stadium, t- it's the Colosseum, and then there's almost like this valley of like just buildings and temples where they used to worship their foreign gods, and they used to line up the Christians there, basically murdered him and next to that was the prison so when you were in the prison you could hear everything that was going on and when Paul was in that prison it wasn't the type of prison that you get let out of it wasn't the type of prison that you walk out of it was a death row prison when you were in that prison you knew you were going to die 
And just as we stepped into that prison, it was an underground dungeon. You walk down, it's like down into the ground. There's not a stitch of natural light. It's this tiny little hovel of a hole. It's moldy, it's damp, it's, it's freezing, it's cold. It, it was just almost when you're reading through the scriptures and you read about people going through these experiences and you go there, you suddenly, I think we can sometimes pretty father us. We can be like, oh, it was an adventure, you know, he was courageous. But suddenly when you're in that moment, in that dungeon, you realize this is real life. This is sacrifice. What Paul sacrificed for the gospel, to see it spreading, to see people come to know Jesus, was very real and very dangerous and very costly. We see he writes the book of 2 Timothy from that um, prison cell. We see that he writes to um, Timothy and he says, please bring my cloak and make sure you come before winter. Because guys, it is absolutely freezing in there. Um, We were listening to some of the history and they said, what would happen um, in some of the seasons is that the pr- whole prison cell would flood. Um, and so this would have happened to Paul while he was in there. They were shackled to the wall, kind of sitting there, and the waters would come in during some of the seasonal, like, season changes. And they would be sitting in half, with half their bodies underwater. Um, and to be honest with you, I just thought, Paul... Paul obviously knew Jesus. He gave up everything for him. He saw Jesus as being worthy of all that suffering. Whatever he faced, he could only have faced that because he knew Jesus was worth it. Because he knew Jesus was the ultimate um, the ultimate thing we could have in our life. Above all else, God was worth it, no matter what he faced. Um, we see that Paul has just so much joy in all these things, which I found fascinating. Often when we, you know, face things, we battle to have joy, but we see throughout the scripture, as Paul writes, he has this incredible joy that is based in Jesus. And so kind of thinking about what God had been speaking to me about beforehand and then going to this prison and just seeing what Paul experienced in these moments and what Peter experienced in these moments was just an incredible moment of God saying to me, you know, I am worthy of him. I, I am worthy of, you, you can follow me. You can step out in faith and follow me because I am the ultimate victory. I, I am worth whatever it is that you have to sacrifice or give up. And as I returned to Durban with all of this in mind and the prison in mind, and I still had this slight wrestle in me that was like, oh, really God, you really want me to give up this job? But in a sense, just seeing what Paul sacrificed for the gospel put a such a courage and excitement in my heart because actually God can do amazing things through our lives. It's not just Peter and Paul and the disciples, but it's you and it's me as we step out in faith and encourage to listen and obey and follow God's voice and to be sent by him. And so I did resign from my job in case you're wondering. And it was hard. It wasn't easy. I think we do face tough times. And I think in all honesty, I feel a little bit silly sharing about me resigning from my job because you look at what people like Paul and Peter gave up and it's like well in a way that just seems like nothing but I think for us God is calling each and every one of us to follow him and to sacrifice for him in ways both big and small and I believe that he's wanting to use those things to have a significant um, impact for the gospel and for his story his mission of reaching people who do not know him um and I just want to say it's amazing how 
I really believe God is so faithful to us, even in those moments where we do face those struggles and those sacrifices. I really believe that He might not answer us in our times of prayer need in quite the way that we expected or encountered. Um, when I resigned from my job, I didn't have another job that I was going to, and it was going to mean that we were going to be financially needing. Um, but as I stepped out in faith and trusted that this was God, what God was saying to me, um, he, I actually got a new job this week. And I just give all praise and glory to him. It's amazing. It's a job that I think is more suitable to my personality and to who I am. But more than that, it's a job that's going to give me more time with him, to seek him out, to hear his voice, to do the things that I believe that he has called me to do. And I'm in no way saying this morning that you all need to give up your jobs for God. (laughs) So please don't go and resign unless you've heard God say that. But I do believe that he's a faithful God. He's a loving God. He's a God that is calling us to be sent on mission for him. He's a God that is speaking to us, who wants to partner with us, that wants to adventure with us. And the invitation is, will you follow him? Will you give your life for him? Because he is worthy and he is worth whatever it is that we're facing because he does want to use us in big and in small ways. God is calling us to an intimacy with him. I think that's where it starts. Almost me and this job, I'm having this time. God is saying, actually, draw near to me. I'm most important. I want to have intimacy with you. And it's out of that place of intimacy that we can be used by him and be sent out by him. But that sometimes to have that intimacy with him and to be used by him in the ways that we see him doing all throughout scripture and in the city of Durban today and all around the world may require a sacrifice. It may mean that we struggle. It may mean that we face things that are hard and difficult. But I believe that he is a God that's calling us to partner with him despite those things because he is a faithful God. And the truth is that he is all we need and he is worthy of it all. This morning, I believe he's asking you perhaps, is there something in your life that is getting in the way of you and him and having intimacy with him and stepping out in faith? Is there a struggle that you're facing? Is there something that you feel like you just can't get ahead of? Almost that's like sapping your joy and just sapping the life out of you. I believe this morning that God is saying, come to me, follow me. I am trustworthy. I am faithful. You can put your hope in me and I will use you. I believe this morning he is wanting to use us in this mission to do amazing things for his gospel and to see many people come to know him and experience the love that we ourselves have experienced. So if you want to stand with me. This morning, as we just uh, sing another song of worship to him, I just believe for each of us, wherever we find ourselves this morning, we can just turn to him now. We can say, God, is there anything that you are asking of me? Or, God, I'm really battling with a struggle, and I feel like it's getting in the way of our relationship, my relationship with you, God. Would you help me to be more than a conqueror through Christ? Would you help me in this moment that I find myself in? And just give that over to him this morning. So Jesus, we just look to you, God. We thank you that you're a God who is alive and who is active, who is doing the most incredible things throughout the world, saving and redeeming people, including us, God. Father, I pray for each one of us here this morning, God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
just as Grant spoke about the power of the Holy Spirit to be your witnesses, God. All of this is impossible without you, without your Spirit's power, without your Spirit's enabling and and equipping. God, we ask you that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to us, God, about what it is that you've called us to, what it is that, how for each one of us, we are called to be sent out to be your witnesses, that you would show us what it is that perhaps we need to change in our lives or sacrifice in our lives in order to have time to spend with you and seek you out and step out in the ways that you have called us to, God. And I pray for those of us this morning who are facing significant struggles or perhaps even persecution, God. I pray this morning that you would draw us near to you, God, that we would put our faith and our hope and trust in you and that we would look to you, God, that our hope would be in you above all else in these times and in these situations, God. I pray that you would fill us with a supernatural joy, that you would would just overwhelm us with your love and your presence this morning, God. We want to be used by you. We want to partner with you in what you're doing, God, because you are at work doing amazing things around the world, God. And we raise our hands and we put ourselves forward and saying, God, would you use me?